0: Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of The Pastor's Cut. Trevor and I are joined with our Near North and Lincoln Park teaching pastor, Steve Koble. He's the pastor with the nice fancy shoes and he's also newly engaged with an upcoming wedding this December.
1: Yeah, we get to talk to Steve about the heart motivation and holiness, the spiritual discipline of fasting, and the listener question, can you lose your salvation? And as you're listening, uh, if you have a question that you'd like us to discuss, you can go ahead and text that in by texting PODCAST to 62953. We'd love to hear from you.
0: We're ready to find out what got cut from Steve's sermon. So I'm Sharon Brandis,
1: And I'm Trevor Lovell.
0: And this is The Pastor's Cut with Steve Koble. Hey, Steve.
1: Hey Sharon,
0: welcome back.
2: <laughs> I'm pumped.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're excited to have you here. This season we've been asking our guests guests what their favorite restaurant is in the city and so we're curious to know what is your go-to spot?
2: So, this was a hard one for me and but at the same time like I am like a traditional American fare kind of guy. And I, I like to experiment on certain things, but I like to keep it s- traditional sometimes too or incorporate the traditional. Mm-hmm. And so like Giant uh, on the north side of Humboldt Park, south side of Logan Square is my favorite restaurant. If you want barbecue ribs, they got barbecue ribs. If you want an incredible pasta dish, they've got an incredible pasta dish. Um, w- you know, In terms of desserts, they, they're doing stuff that is just, it's just incredible. So it's, awesome. it's the spot. It'll 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 bless you uh, in every way possible in every stage of the experience.
0: Our producer in the background was waving her hand, saying, "It's my favorite restaurant too." So, and it's on my list of places to go as a soon-to-be Logan Square resident. So, yeah, have you been, Trevor? I
1: have not been, All but right. it sounds sounds worthwhile.
0: Yeah,
2: you gotta try this place out. It's busy. Yeah, uh, I would recommend going at four forty-five to slide in <laughs> to get a. Uh, to get up uh, before the reservations start and stuff like that. Yeah. Usually right when uh, the kitchen opens, it's usually pretty easy to get in at five
1: o'clock. Nice.
2: Cool. Not nice. that I've
1: been there too many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Steve, you preached at Near North and Lincoln Park this past weekend. Could you give us a quick recap of your sermon?
2: Yeah, uh, the sermon was about Romans 2, 17 through 32, and I entitled it The Hypocrisy of Worshiping the God of Moralism. And so the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 spends a couple of paragraphs addressing the licentiousness of the Greeks or the non-Jewish folks who were uh, represented there at the church in Rome and what they their lifestyles may have been like before they became followers of Jesus. And then he turns over to Romans chapter 2 and spends an entire chapter speaking to the religious Jews who would have been trusting in or uh, prior to coming to faith in Christ would have been trusting in their ability to keep the law or uh, their what had been revealed to them and for them had become their salvation strategy and not what those things pointed to, uh, which was faith. And what God had promised, or what God had provided, uh, who is the uh, person and work of Jesus Christ? So, um, yeah, that was the the point was to unearth how moralism can be as equal to uh, rebellion uh, of rebelling against God as licentiousness. So, the foundational thing in Romans chapter one that is like the foundational issue of all of the human experience is that humanity have exchanged the glory of the immortal god and worshiped and served created things and paul says that word exchange three different times in romans chapter 1 and in essence the licentious person has exchanged the glory of the immortal God and worshipped and served creative thing, created things by giving themselves over to their own desires and building their lives upon things that are created and not on God. And in the same way, the moralist has exchanged the glory of the immortal God and worshipped and served this idea of earning their belonging. And I wanted to make the point that Paul sees both of those things as equally rebellion against God. And the dangerous thing about the moralism piece is that it's so easy for that to remain hidden. Um, And so it's so important for those of us who have been walking with Christ for a while to check and make sure like, yo, is this still like, am I still walking by grace through faith or am I trying to earn something because of how easily it can remain hidden? One of the interesting things I think about the book of Galatians, is that Paul addresses people who were pagans. They lived pagan lifestyles, they were uh, they were they're living in a, a culture of licentiousness. And so that's where they were at. Then they found Christ. The gospel was preached to them. They became followers of Jesus. Then these religious people came in and said, hey, like Jesus is cool to begin with, but you've got to really uh, become a Jew. you got to get circumcised and follow the law in order to really be made right with God. And Paul says to them in Galatians 4 and, and verse 8 that uh, they are attempting to be enslaved by the same principles that enslaved them previously. So what he's saying is that moralism and licentiousness are in essence the same exact thing. They are rebellion against God. And that is the foundational issue that has put us in uh, the crosshairs of God's wrath. Mm
0: -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, Trevor and I both had the privilege of hearing your sermon. And I thought even the the examples in the middle portion of chapter two, where it says, you know, those who teach, Mm -hmm. um, are are you being taught? And all the other examples they mentioned, and it was just a great heart check for us as believers to... Really see what God's doing, so.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Steve, what what got cut?
2: Man, so one of the things that got cut from the message uh, was because of Paul is ad- because Paul is addressing later on verses twenty-eight through thirty-two the motives of the heart, speaking of circumcision as being something that happens to the heart, and it is a symbol of something that's happened to the heart. So, a physical symbol of something that's happened to the heart. Um, Jesus says in uh, Matthew chapter 6, as he's talking about different spiritual disciplines and how to participate in those, uh, whether it's giving to the poor or uh, prayer or fasting, he goes through this list of different things of how to do those things. Mm -hmm. And he says that those who fast in such a way as to be seen by other people, he says that their praise is from man and not from God. And so Jesus is getting underneath the hood of the motive for why we're doing religious activities or why we're doing uh, Christian things. Is uh, it, he's, he's saying that the motive is incredibly important. And so, um, yeah, I think that that was something that I wanted to draw into the sermon, just how Jesus and Paul are paralleling themselves in the conversation and how uh, that was a... Uh, sort of reorienting of the Jewish idea of spiritual formation when he was saying when Jesus was saying that to these Jewish folks how to fast how to pray how to give uh, how to give alms it, it's a different form of of spiritual formation that he's saying like it's not just about the action it's it's about the heart and so I think that those things throughout the New Testament are uh, and you know honestly if you look. Uh, if you truly look at the Old Testament and and really like that's what that's what that's what the point is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't just want your hands. I don't just want you to perform. I want your heart. Yeah. Yeah.
0: When, when the two of you have thought about fasting, I can't remember the last time I've heard an actual sermon on fasting. You know, I've heard it here and there. But what for our listeners maybe are thinking? How do you practically fast? What does that look like? Is it, you know. How do I avoid this outward appearance? Because in that verse in Matthew, it says, "You know, don't disfigure yourselves for the other people to see around you." So, yeah. what does that practically look like to fast, and maybe why should people do it?
2: Yeah. So i I am ter- There are certain things that I'm not good at. Uh, one of those things is solitude. And another one of those things is fasting. So even to ask me about (laughs) fasting, but I had to actually preach uh, on it recently and study that particular passage. And I realized actually, like I've been approaching fasting from the wrong uh, posture and Hmm. perspective. And um, I think that for, for many of us, we start in this sort of like, if I fast, then like, this is like the highest level of like this, the spiritual discipline as the spiritual disciplines go. And man, God's really going to answer my prayers when I fast or, um, and, and I think, you know, there's in some ways, like if, you know, there is some, some level of like, God, I'm sacrificing for the sake that I need, I need you to come through on something for me. I think that that's a thing that, that God honors. But at the same time, I think for many of us, it becomes just a discipline that we're doing in expectation that that God is going to do something for me because Hmm. I'm doing this for Him. Mm -hmm. That it's sort of like God is my uh, cosmic butler, and we would never say those with our words. um, Or we approach it from the posture of like, man, this is really the, the spiritual varsity team. They, they fast, you know what I mean? And you miss the point of what it, it, it is for. I think that when Jesus says um, in Matthew 6 that your celebration or, or your, the people who um, you get approval from is just going to be from God or from people and not from man, is to say that the purpose of fasting was missed. And the purpose of fasting has to be intimacy with God. Mm-hmm. And so whatever you're doing, whether it's your, your prayer, you're uh, your in prayer, um, I just like to start with the posture of, in, in my prayer, God, I don't have any requests. Um, I I'm just wanting to spend time with you. I just... I just need to hear from you, yeah. And I think that in in response, fasting is given to us as a place to be able to press pause on all the loud stuff in the world, all the um, the things that makes it, make us anxious. And it's like a gift to be able to say, like, I- I'm just gonna realign myself to what's real and mm-hmm. what's true. And um, it's a gift to us to realign ourselves to like, wait, God is in control, God is on His throne. I'm just reminding myself that, um, and I'm 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 reorienting myself to hear the voice of God. And in doing that, you're saying, God, you're more important than food. You're more important than social media or whatever you're you're fasting from. Mm-hmm. And and really, it's for you to realign. It's not to do something for God. Um, you know, though I think he honors that, um, it's for you to realign yourself to what's real and true. Mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, one of the things that, like, I'm thinking about doing a f- uh, fast for... It, social media gives me anxiety. I enjoy... Um, being able to stay connected with people that I don't get to see very often or even as a pastor, like I feel like, all right, I know a little bit about what's going on in people's lives based on what they post or Hmm. or what they don't post about. And then um, at the same time, like my mom has had a uh, stroke and I I like to be able to be like, yo, can I get 3,000 people to pray for this right now? Yeah. Um, I love that. Um, But, you know, it it has the tendency to To create anxiety uh, in me for some reason, and so uh, I'm thinking about just in my disconnecting from social media to just realign myself to connect with God. And so I think that whatever the case is, whether it's food or um, social media or or whatever, whatever it is that like that's the posture of your heart has to be. I'm, I'm realigning myself just to experience intimacy with God and making sure that just because you got to five days of whatever, that there's not like a a, a puffing up of your heart that happens. Because if that's the case, then you you didn't approach fasting from the right place in the first place. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So what else got cut?
2: I tried to give a couple of different interpretations, and uh, there was more to it. I read way too much on uh, a couple of different things around this idea of you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? And there was a couple of different interpretations that the commentators weren't uh, even—they just weren't convinced of either one for sure. Um, But they gave the interpretation that— Uh, There may have been some kind of black market in the ancient world where Jews would participate in the reselling of idols from temples to Gentiles. So they would be making money from from the sale of these idols, but they actually abhor even the concept of worshiping idols, but somehow they're intertwined in in trying to make money off of it. And uh, it could be that, that that's the thing that's hypocritical. The posture that I took is that maybe it's more of like a figurative thing because Paul addresses the motivation of the heart in 28 through 32 when he talks about circumcision. And uh, the idea of maybe you don't, you know, you don't bow down at, uh, at a temple and worship an idol, but at, even as a follower of Jesus and a very moral person you can be carrying around the things that those things represent. You may not have the image, but it's still in the motivation of your heart, you're still bowing down to it. And I think that that uh, because Jesus is so focused on the motivation of the heart, because Paul focuses on the motivation of the heart, that that is something that's really applicable to us because that happens to us every day. And so when I talk about romantic sexual relationships and, you know, those things are really, really great things. Um, But at the same time for us in our society, oftentimes we take what we've been catechized with from the world and we reorient it and Christianize it. And then we, we make that just a monogamous heterosexual relationship within the church. And we say, man, that is where I find my true experience of intimacy and neglecting the fact that really, if, if you really believe that, then you're saying that, God, you're not enough intimacy for me. And God's, uh, from God's perspective, it's just, yo, like you're just carrying around an idol. And, um, and we can do that so easily. I think, you know, for, for a lot of people in our congregation... You know, there's a good amount of people who are downtown in the loop making money uh, for people and they're doing really good at their jobs. But there's no there's no like, wait a second, how does this affect uh, other people? Um, How does this investment, if I play this investment out, how to and and nothing's wrong with, with making money, make as much money as you can save as much money as you can give as much money as away as you can. Uh, but at the same time, there's there's no level of like how how does me making this money affect other people, or how mm-hmm. how is it actually hypocritical in the sense that it actually causes harm or uh, it promotes poverty to certain groups of people, and that would align more with the interpretation that like y- you're you you abhor the idea of evil, uh, right by abhorring idols, but Do you participate in the reselling of of these idols to the Gentiles? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that we all have to make sure that we're not participating in the world system and on one end uh, doing stuff that's incredibly moral, but then on the other end participating in something that is hypocritical. And so, uh, man, Sharon, you could play that out to all types of things. I just, I just stuck to two, just for the sake of of time and what probably would be applicable to the folks in our uh, congregations. But you can play that out in all types of different areas in our lives. And I try to give just those couple of examples so that we can see that, like, yo, know, this is this happens in my heart all the time, actually. And uh, Martin Luther, the great great Protestant reformer, he said that all of life is repentance. And so that means that repentance isn't just a one-time action that, man, I turned away from this, and now I never deal with that ever again. And for some of us, man, we get completely free from stuff, and yet the reality of most of our hearts, and I would just say this is the human experience, is that we're always trying to exalt something to be on the throne of our lives. And if we're not cognizant of the propensity for us to do that, then we may be carrying around idols with Jesus in in our heart too. But then we got another idol that we're trying to carry around with mm-hmm. us. And so the the point I guess that I was trying to make is that man, we can we can um, if if you're not paying attention, we can very easily be participating in a hypocrisy of polytheistic worship, mm-hmm. even though we say that we're followers of Jesus. And Paul would say, yo, that's hypocrisy. Like, even though you don't participate in the licentiousness of these people, like that, you're, you're still
1: participating in the same stuff. And it's hip- hypocritical. An interesting passage too. And, and just to see how that can play out in so many different ways. Um, Steve, you mentioned something about having a space for confession and repentance. Could mm-hmm. you, you talk a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah, I, I think that um, I think that in order for us to not be or not find ourselves in places of self-righteous legalism or licentiousness, um, to find the middle ground is to make sure that we don't have spaces to perform and pretend. And so one of the ways that I think that God has given us is the opportunity to confess and repent of sin. And I said this to you earlier, Trevor, but mm-hmm. I think that for those who are congregants or those who are members of the church, whatever church you go to, um, I think if, if you have relational capital with your pastor, uh, you need to know who your pastor's friends are. Like, do you have friends? Do you have people that you're close with that outside of your immediate family mm-hmm. Um and uh, and one of the reasons why I think that that's so important is that that means that that pastor has a has a space for confession and repentance.
0: Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm.
2: And the reality is, and this is just true for uh, how I experienced my life as a pastor is that you know that you're not a perfect person. Mm -hmm. You know that you're broken, but at the same time, you know that you're held to a higher standard. So a lot of pastors can look at the qualifications of elders, and because they look at the different spaces of where they fall short, they say to themselves, man, if somebody actually knew this about me, then would I be qualified to be a pastor? Mm -hmm. And the issue is that if you don't have the space of confession and repentance because we're all human beings, then you're going to find yourself off 10, 15 years from now uh, with a much greater issue uh, with uh, a whole lot of more harm and pain done to you or, or to other people that you're interacting with because you didn't do the work of having spaces of confession and repentance. Mm-hmm. Because so, so then you spent 10 and 15 years performing and pretending. And instead of having spaces so that you could live uh, in a way that was vulnerable and authentic with other people, and uh, I think that for me as a pastor, you know, I I wonder sometimes that if that's just our generation. As you know, I'm 32 years old. Um, I think we value that as millennials to be authentic and and to be vulnerable. But at the same time, for me, it's an opportunity for me to check my heart. Mm-hmm. If I'm living. Uh, with my heart open to others, then I I think it gives me the opportunity to be like, all right, me and God are good. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I'm not performing and pretending. It's like a practice of mine. Mm -hmm. And it's also a conviction of mine that if I'm not doing that, then I'm just going to be creating pockets of performance and pretending in the congregation Mm -hmm. because people are going to think, man, if people really knew that about me, then I wouldn't be accepted here. I just experienced rejection. And we we always, you know, we say this theologically, like God knows everything about you and yet still accepts you. And yet, practically speaking, when it comes to other people, Mm -hmm. we we don't like live that out Um, Mm -hmm. and we we like to perform and pretend. And so those are things that, that I think that are incredibly important to have. People who uh, are close with you, who, you know, Jesus had 12 disciples, but he had an inner circle. Everybody mm-hmm. doesn't need to know your business, but somebody needs to know your business.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, this week's listener question is a, a heavier hitter. Um, and a, a couple people have thought of this question when it comes to this passage. And the question is can you lose your salvation?
2: One of the things that I think is incredibly important to remember when it comes to the idea uh, of salvation is that salvation is something that is a gracious gift from God, meaning that your performance did not get you saved. And if your performance can't get you saved, then your performance can't keep you saved. So that means that the work of God in salvation is something that is a gift Mm -hmm. that you respond to by faith. And I would even say that God gives you the faith to respond to the gift that he's provided. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus says in John uh, chapter eight, that all that the father has given me, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Excuse me, John chapter 10. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Um, When you you look at, at passages like that, the point is that the Father has given those sheep to Jesus. So the Father has been the one who initiated from the start. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the, the responsibility for us can't be that I've got to keep myself saved because I couldn't get myself saved. And so one of the important things that, that all of us have to remember is, like, even if you were listening to that message on Sunday and you said, man, if I've been harboring self-righteousness and I have been uh, living out this works-based salvation, you have to remind yourself that, wait a second, like, I didn't start this by works, therefore I can't keep this going by works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's just something that you have to be mindful of in terms of, like, how did I begin this journey? Mm -hmm. Uh, that's the way I'm going to continue on by the, uh, in this journey. And that's the way I'm going to finish this journey is by grace. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's certain passages in, uh, Hebrews chapter four, Hebrew six, um, that people have contention with and how, how do I know for sure that I haven't, um, sort of, uh, been enlightened, uh, by God. And then I, I walk away from, uh, from the faith or whatever. And there's, you know, there's certain stories that, that people will say like this person was serving in the church and they were doing this and that. And, um, and, and now they're not walking with Jesus. And the same kind of thing happened in the, in the church that the the Apostle John was writing to in 1 John. He says that they went out from us because they were not of us. And his his point is that the heart work is always the thing that's the most significant thing. So even as we've seen in um, in. Uh, in Romans chapter two and uh, in the book of Galatians, that that the heart is what God is concerned with. You can participate in religious activity and uh, in prayer and church services, and uh, and that work of grace has never been appropriated to your heart. And so, I think the thing that um, you know, if you're wondering or questioning, man, can I lose my salvation? The thing that I would recommend you do is to look at your life. And not say like, man, I have, I have, I have arrived in any way, but to say that like when I look back at my life, my life is not the same.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: When I look at at the rearview mirror of my life, there are things that are different about my life. If you can see those that, that spiritual fruit, then you can tell like. Now God has God has been active in me and changing things in uh, in my life and um, instead of focusing on like how well am I keeping the rules because in, in turn, that is a, a life that is based on your moralism and not based on grace.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for joining us this week.
1: Yeah, thanks for being here, Steve. Thanks for having me, Trev and Sharon. Thanks for listening. Next week, we have Noah Chung with us, one of our pastors from the Near South region, and we'll be diving into Romans chapter three with him. And so just a reminder, if you have any questions, feel free to text those in by texting podcast to 62953. We'd love to hear from you and uh, hope you can make it next week. Thanks.